Thank you. How is everyone? Good, good. It's a Thursday morning. I was preparing a message because I spoke at youth on Friday night. And I thought, oh, yeah, I know what I'm going to say. I'll do that. And then uh, Gary gives me a call and says, uh, what are you doing on Sunday? Because I just found out that Steve Blake won't be back till next week. And um, so you can make a plan. I read that this week in Proverbs 16. We make plans <laughs> and God laughs sometimes and says, no, I'm, we're going to do this. So we are going to get Steve to come and share another time, hopefully before Christmas, but if not early next year, and um, that'll be good. But today I get to continue part four of a series on the life of David. So I was planning to do this in a few weeks' time, and so it feels a little bit to me like it's not a little bit undercooked. So I'm just trying, trusting the Holy Spirit to help, uh, you know, just finish off the bake so that it's ready to go. But um, if you were here last week, we, we looked at something called the gap years. We actually did a bonus track from week three and then we did the gap years, which was the moment in our lives between being anointed for something and being appointed for something. And that's what happened to David. He was anointed to be king at a young age, but it wasn't until nearly 30 years later that he was appointed to be king. And often in life, there is a gap between when we get anointed for something or we get a dream from God and we see it come to pass. And in those gap years, there's a few events in David's life. And one of the events, or a few of events that we're looking at today, happen in those gap years where he's been anointed as king, but he's not quite king. And my message today is called Not So Modern Family. Does anyone watch Modern Family? Admit to watching Modern Family? That's okay. Does anyone know who Phil Dunphy is? Phil Dunphy is the guru when it comes to wisdom, and Josh Davey used to get called this as well. So can I have the first slide, please? Phil Dunphy, I don't know if you can read that, I'm hoping a little bit small, but he just has some pearls of wisdom. Like, think inside the box. That's right, I said in, I can't even read my own thing. Inside, because while everyone is chasing each other outside, what is the box? Empty. That's the wisdom that Phil has for you. Trust me, as long as you're standing next to me, you won't look stupid. <laughs> and there's a classic dad line right there. So they've asked me to fill in. Can I have the next slide, please? I like this one. I don't always make great decisions under pressure. What the is that? An alpaca. I got the last one. <laughs> the kind of things that he would do. He gives them, um, this is for all you men, pay attention to the next slide. Today I get to talk about the love of my life, residential real estate. Have a look at his wife's face. And this next one is, um, I'm not going to read this one, I hope you can read this one. Marry someone who looks sexy while disappointed, and then when you disappoint them, they'll look good. That's the kind of wisdom he has. He also has wisdom for, um, for kids, for raising kids. I like this next one. I'm going to um, try this one. Act like a parent, talk like a peer. I call it peer renting. <laughs> and here's a great example of what he's talking about. The last one. I'm cool, Dad. That's my thing. I'm hip. I surf the web. I text. LOL. Laugh out loud. OMG. Oh, my God. WTF. Why the face? <laughs> Some of you know what WTF really stands for. It's not why the face. That's Phil Dunphy. He makes a lot of mistakes as a dad, and his character is that he gets things wrong when it comes to family. And today, hopefully, 
we're going to learn some better wisdom than what Phil Dunphy has to offer when it comes to relationships, when it comes to family, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to marriage. And you might think, how are we going to get all of that out of the life of David? And well, you're just going to have to see. What we're going to do is just cover a little bit of ground. There's going to be a little bit of scripture, just tell you some events that happen. And then I just want to draw out a few things that I think we might be able to learn out of this. So 1 Samuel 18, David has just killed Goliath. We covered that previously. Verses 1 to 3 says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. So David and Jonathan become friends, and they become friends sealed with a solemn pact. Other translations say that they made a covenant of friendship between each other. They made a bond of friendship that was strong and was tight. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 10 to 11, let's read a few other verses. The very next day... A tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. So David is serving in the palace. He's serving King Saul, but it's no longer a safe place for him. It's become a dangerous place for him to be. Because Saul has become very jealous of him. So what do you do when you're jealous of this young person that's in your house and serving if you're King Saul? You know what Saul decides to do? I'm going to give him one of my daughters as a wife. That's the logical next thing to do, isn't it? Jealous of him, give him a wife. So let's read that. Verse 27b. So Saul gave his daughter Michal, just Michael, let's say that, because that's Michal, Michelle. So Saul gave his daughter Michal to David to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michal loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David became very famous. We didn't have any of the kids dressing up as David this morning. Although, Sonny, we could have just changed the name badge and it could have just said David, couldn't it? Because um, he, he actually enjoyed growing his beard this morning. He said he can grow his beard a lot quicker than Dad. So he was happy about that. The more successful that David is, the more jealous Saul became. And even though David is now married to Saul's daughter, Saul is still out to get him. It's suggested if you read, why would Saul give his daughter to be married to someone who we opposed, who someone we just read was the enemy for the rest of his life? It's said that Saul gave his daughter as a way of keeping David close to him. By giving his daughter in marriage to David, by the two of them being married together, it would keep David in the palace, it would keep David close to Saul, and therefore close enough for Saul to be able to kill him. That was the reasoning behind it. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 19, verse 1. So now Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. So Jonathan's friendship with David causes him to warn him about what his father is doing. Jonathan has made a a commitment to David. And when he finds out that his dad's out to get David, he warns him about it. Not only does he warn David about it, but if we read in the next few verses, he also goes to speak to his dad about it. Let's read verse 4. 
The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and listened to what he said. He vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. As a result of Jonathan reasoning with his dad and Saul making that promise that he will not kill David, David returns to the palace where he serves King Saul again. So he's made friendship with Jonathan. He's married to Michal. He's run for his life because he's in danger in the palace. But now he returns, returns to serve in the palace, returns to serve as a successful commander in Saul's army. And then we read this, 1 Samuel 19, verse 9. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way, and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Saul made a promise. He made a pledge that David's life would be safe, but he's broken it pretty quickly. History is repeating itself. He warned him. He, said, he, he promised him. He said nothing would happen, but now... And very few verses later, Saul is trying to take David's life again. And David is forced to flee the palace. And this time David gets help from another of Saul's children. Let's read verses 11. Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But David's wife warned him, If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window. And he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. When the troops came to arrest David, she told them he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so that I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded. I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help. David is on the run. He escapes because his wife helps him out, basically. Covers for him, creates a disguise for him. That's what you do when you want to sneak out of home. Lucy, just block your ears for a second. You know, you want to pretend that you're in bed, but really you're out somewhere partying. It's the old classic. You've done that before, haven't you, Dave Doyle? No, you just went. That's right. <laughs> they've done, the, they've done the, the old sneak. They've disguised and, and got away. So she's helped David escape. David escapes. He runs for his life, becoming a familiar thing, isn't it? We won't read it all in chapter 20, but he goes back to see Jonathan. He goes to see Jonathan, the person that he's made this friendship with. And he talks to him. And then chapter 20, you would read that Saul is expecting David to attend, like all the army commanders would at the time, that they would attend the New Moon Festival. And it's at this festival that Saul again plans to kill David. David has wised up a little bit. He doesn't trust King Saul. Having a spear thrown at you a few times will do that to a friendship and a relationship. And so he refuses to go to the festival 
And at the festival, Saul begins to ask Jonathan if he knows where David is and why hasn't he turned up. And Jonathan starts to cover for King David. And when Saul realizes that Jonathan is covering for David, he gets very, very angry. 1 Samuel 20 verse 30. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid PG rated. He swore at him, his own son. Do you think I don't know that you want to be king, whom to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so that I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last Jonathan realized that his dad didn't really like David. Took a little while for that to sink in, but he did get it. Realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on that second day of the festival. For he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. The next day, Jonathan goes to David, warns him and says, you need to run. And this time, not just now, but you need to run for good. We're going to read the last verse and we'll get into what I want to talk about. 1 Samuel 20, 41. Both of them, David and Jonathan, were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye. Especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. So David flees from Saul. He becomes a fugitive. He becomes a man on the run. He has to leave his home. He has to leave his family. He's on his own. And we're going to leave the story of David right there because I want to look this morning at Jonathan and Michal, the son and the daughter to King Saul. Yet both of them very connected to David. We've read today that both of them chose to be loyal to David, meaning that they opposed their own father. This is no small thing that they did. They stood up and they said, you know what, We're, our connection is with David. Well, let's look at Jonathan. I've got a slide about Jonathan. I did some research in the Aussie translation. His name is Jono and he will be referred to as Jono from here on in. Jono is in line to the throne. Jono is the eldest son of the king, and it's his rightful place to be the next king of a nation. He had every reason that there was to partner with his dad in taking out David. He had every natural reason to take sides with him and say, you know what, I want to be king next. I'm going to help take you out. But he didn't. He had a conviction that David was God's anointed choice of king, and he did not want to fight against that. So he did what he could to protect his, his, his mate, David, from his father, Jono and Davo. There's the Aussie version right there. By doing so, he not only threw away his chance of becoming king, but he also put his very own life in danger. That was the strength of the relationship and the bond that he built with Jonathan, that he was prepared to lay down his own ambition and his own benefit that he could get from it. But he was also prepared to put his life on the line, put his life in danger because of this relationship and this friendship that he had made. But here's what I want you to notice, church. He protected David, but he stayed with his father. He didn't abandon his dad, even though he disagreed with him. If you read the rest of Jonathan's life, it says in that verse, he returned to the town. He returned to the palace and he served his father. 
Jonathan died on the battlefield next to his dad, fighting for his dad's cause and his dad's army. He gave his life to it. He remained by his dad's side until he breathed his last, breathed his last breath. He remained loyal to him. You know, it's a difficult thing when someone you love is doing something that you don't agree with. They're making decisions that you believe to be wrong. They're doing things in their life that you just don't agree with and you go, how do I do this? In Jonathan's case, it was his own father. His own father is trying to kill a good man. How do you handle that, church? I don't, certainly do not know. When people that you love, people that you're in friendship with, in relationship with, are doing things and you know it's wrong. You believe with all of your heart that it's the wrong thing to do, but how do you respond to them? I think Jonathan gives us a pretty good example of how to handle a very difficult situation. First thing, he didn't join in on the thing he believed to be wrong. He did what he could to protect the innocent party. So he stood up for justice. But very importantly, at the same time, he didn't abandon his father. He stayed in relationship with him. I don't think it's right, church, to exclude people just because you disagree with their choices. I, I, I struggle when I hear people saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with them while they're behaving in that way. I, I struggle with that. I think Jonathan, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. But I think Jonathan gives us a great example of how to do the right thing but choose relationship. You know, sometimes you have to make a choice. Do I want to be right or do I want the relationship? And I think Jonathan gives us a great balance of doing, in doing those things. I don't think we have to exclude them. I know that when people in your life that you're close with start to do things that you disagree with, I know there will be a natural change in that relationship. It may not be as close as it once was. We, we touched a little bit on that on Father's Day when we had our panel about how people, by making their decisions and making their choices, naturally will, will be moving away from you in the friendship. But I don't think from our part, our role is to completely shut it off. I think like Jonathan, there's a way you can stand up for justice, but at the same time, choose relationship and choose to be a follower of Jesus that loves one another, that shows grace and understanding. Don't have to compromise your opinions or your beliefs, but chooses to stand for justice, but not at the sake of relationship. And I think David, I mean, Jonathan gives us a good example of that. Who is it in your world that you can think of right now? And you're thinking, how am I going to relate to them? You know, we need God's wisdom. We need God's grace to show us how to walk that sometimes delicate journey of doing that. Saul's other, one of Saul's other children, David's wife, Michal, she also risked her life to protect David. Put yourself in her shoes for a minute. Her dad is trying to kill her husband. That is a messy family situation right there. Think about David for a minute. You reckon your in-laws are hard work. David's father-in-law is trying to kill him. Now, I prepared this message not knowing that my in-laws were going to be in church this morning. 
So I'm just going to leave out the next page of notes that I had prepared. And all the jokes that were there, I'm just leaving them right there, right now. But I will say that this is not a nice family situation. It's messy. It's complicated. It's difficult. We read earlier that Michal loved David. She loved David with all of her heart. But yet her own dad is doing something that's so hurtful and so painful. That's not a situation we want to put ourselves in. The love that she had caused her to protect David. Mikhail did what every newly married person should do. And that is you leave your father and your mother and you are joined to your husband or your wife. You've heard it before, leave and cleave. And that doesn't mean that family gets rejected. But it does mean that when, when I got married, I left being part of my family to create a new family. Remember the circle, Bill? The circle, that, am I still in the circle? Okay. You're creating a new family together. Jesus said this when talking about marriage, Matthew 19. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Two becoming one. That's why people say, this is my other half. Or this is my better half. Because they're referring to the fact that they are now two have become one. And that's also why divorce is so heartbreaking for all those involved. Because one is being separated. And when that separation happens, it's painful and it's hurtful. And if you've been through divorce or your family has been through divorce, I'm not saying this this morning to make you feel bad. My heart goes out for you because I know how tough that must be. But I make the point just to simply say that Mikhail demonstrated two becoming one when she defended her husband against her father who was trying to kill him. She recognized that she was now one with David and she stood up for that. In this situation, which is messy and is difficult, she was forced to choose between the two. But it doesn't have to be that way. One day, way, 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 way off in the future, I don't want to be a father who makes my kids choose a side. I want to be a father who releases my kids to build a life with their husband or wife together. I don't want to have to make them choose a side. But I want to be able to release them to build a life together and know that two need to become one. Unfortunately for Mikhail, Saul's actions forced her to choose and she chose to protect David. Both Mikhail and Jonathan chose what they believed was the right thing to do, even though it meant going against what their father wanted. And I know this is a bit of a heavy topic, but I know that there's people here that are in relationships in families where it's messy where it's difficult 
where there's tough choices and tough decisions that need to be made. And my prayer for you this morning, and we're going to pray later on, is that God's Spirit would lead you and guide you to make decisions that represent God's love and God's truth for that situation. Who here this morning has heard the statement, blood is thicker than water? Yeah? And for um, Peter, my Canadian, I'm Canadian, maple syrup is even thicker. (laughs) So there's a reason to have pancakes. This statement is usually used to describe that the bond of a family, being the family blood, bonds are stronger than that of a friendship or other relationships. But did you know that it's not really what it originally meant? Originally, it meant something quite opposite. The common saying comes from this old proverb that says, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And it actually flips the whole statement on its head. And says that rather than blood shed by family, the original interpretation of the term was literal blood. In other words, the blood that is shed by soldiers on the battlefield makes for a stronger bonds than those of the family that you were born into. It was used in reference to blood covenants that people would make between each other. So when it says a blood is thicker than water, what they're saying is sometimes the friendships or the bonds or the covenants that you make can be thicker and stronger than that of your own family. That was the original intention of that saying. Similar to the pact that David made with Jonathan. David had a covenant of friendship with Jonathan and a covenant of marriage with Michal. And those covenants proved to be powerful in David's life. In fact, those covenants, those relationships saved his life. The partnerships that you make in life have a powerful influence on your life, more than we will ever know. That's why it's important that we choose wisely who we marry, that we choose wisely who we do life with, who we build covenant relationships with. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Proverbs 27.17, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend you cannot choose your family you probably figured that out by now haven't you shannon you can't pick them you're born into that family but you can choose who you enter into covenant with who you allow to be in close relationship with and from david's life we learn to choose wisely to choose Because they affect your life. It does not mean that you don't have anything to do with other people. It means the people that you allow into that close place. The examples we have here, marriage and a really close friendship. Choose those ones wisely because they will affect your life. As a Christian, you are part of something bigger and stronger than that of even your own family. Do you know that as a Christian, a covenant has been made? Ephesians 1, 3 to 8 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. 
So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out onto us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. As a Christian, as someone who has decided to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus Christ, you have entered into a blood covenant. Blood was shed by Jesus so that we can have a covenant relationship with him. And just like we've seen today that that covenant relationship can be stronger than any other tie, the relationship with God can be stronger than even that again because it's a perfect sacrifice. We are part of God's family. We are adopted in to what Jesus did for us. It explains why I can walk into a church in Medan a a month ago, not knowing them, having no history with them, but instantly, because we share something in common together, we instantly have a connection that cannot be explained and it cannot be described. It's called being part of God's family. It's being part of a covenant together because of what Jesus did. It does not mean we abandon our natural families. It does not mean we leave our natural families alone. But it does explain that we have got this, we're part of something bigger than just our own natural family. For some of you, if your natural family is awesome and it's great and you feel comfortable there and you feel at home there, it's not saying that that's a bad thing. That's great. But for some of you where family has been terrible, Family life has not been good at all. You don't want to talk about family. It'll explain why sometimes you'll feel more at home with other followers of Jesus than you will in your own family because there's a covenant here that might not be there. Church, we're part of something bigger than just our own life and just our own family. The blood of the covenant is stronger than the water of the womb. Jesus said these words, Mark 3:35 Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We are part of God's family. And today as you leave this place, if you're here and you don't know what it is to be in God's family, you don't know what it is to be in a relationship with him, you don't know what it is to have decided to follow Jesus. You can come and see myself You can come to our Connect Lounge at the back because we would love to talk to you about how you can invite Jesus into your heart and the difference he can make in your life, how you can be part of this family that I'm talking about. Do you know that on Tuesday, a lady rang the office and said, I've had a vision of Jesus. I need to talk to someone. So we put Tammy on the phone. Now, I wasn't here, but I came in later and found out. And next minute, she's come down into the foyer, talked with Tammy. Tammy's answered some questions. And next minute, Tammy's praying with her and she's inviting Jesus into her heart on a Tuesday at about lunchtime. This morning out there, Heather, I think you're here, did the same thing. I'm not going to embarrass you, don't worry, Heather. But you came and saw the welcome team out the front and had a conversation and invited Jesus into her heart and then decided to stay for church. You can invite Jesus into your heart no matter where you are, no matter when you are. It doesn't have to be at 11.25 on a Sunday morning when the preacher gets to the end of his message but you can call upon the name of Jesus wherever and wherever, whenever you want. But at the end of our messages, I'll always make sure we give an opportunity if you would like to join those others that have invited Jesus into their heart. So come and see me after, and I'd love to pray with you and talk with you about how 
you can do that. I thought that was a pretty good Tuesday, don't you think? You know, I want the the creative team to come. We're going to finish. We're going to go back to the life of David next time I'm on. But the things to take out of today, if you want a quick summary, family can be messy. Relationships can be messy. And because they can be messy, they can also be hurtful. And so this morning, I want to pray over these things. I want to pray over our families. I want to pray over our marriages. And I want to pray over friendships. That you and I would be able to develop friendships like Davo and Jono had. That was tight and was a bond. And that set them up for their lives. Is that okay? Can we stand, church? Not going to do this for long. But I just really felt to pray over those three things. I'd like us to close our eyes. If there's anyone here, I think everyone in the room with their eyes closed just to respect people's privacy. But if there's anyone here that would like prayer for their marriage, then I want you to raise your hand right now. I just want prayer over your marriage. You raise it up. I'm I'm not even looking out. If there's anyone here that's got stuff going on in their family that they would like prayer over, then I want you to raise your hand right now. You're saying, God, I want you to intervene in this family situation in my family. And now if there's anyone here that has friendships, either that's been broken or that you just really want to pray that you're lonely and you really want that good friend like Jono and Davo had, that friendship, and that's you and that's the cry of your heart. And saying, you know what? I would love a friend like that. And I want you to raise your hand today as well and believing that God will bring that person into your life. They may already be there but that it would help you to build that friendship and that relationship. God, I thank you that you are a relational God. I thank you that relationships are important to you. And you value nothing more than to have relationship with us, your kids, your sons, and your daughters. But God, I pray this morning that you would give us help in relating to one another.